Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Worst Duke in the World by Lisa Byrne. This was published just recently in January of 2021 and is the seventh book in the Penn Hollow Dynasty series. And full disclosure, we did receive a free advanced reader copy of this book from NetGalley. And in case any of our readers are like, oh, goodness, I don't remember this. We have not reviewed the previous six books in the series. Which, if you listen to us often, you you may be wondering why the heck we, we did book number seven, because Lane loves to start at the beginning of series. I will say one of the things uh, that this book does well is it you can be read as a standalone. You don't need to have read any of the previous six to enjoy this one. And I don't even feel like there were passing references. Like, you might get something from it having read the previous six, but to be honest, there were really, really few references. I would assume, like, that I gathered as a first-time reader. I didn't feel like I was being hit over the head with sly references to previous books. Yeah. Well, let's get into the jacket. Life's no bowl of cherries for Anthony Farr, the Duke of Radcliffe. Duty demands he remarried to provide a spare to go along with the heir, and eligible ladies keep trying to finagle him into a proposal. All he wants is to be a good father to his eight-year-old son, see the Duchess, his truly terrific pig, win first prize at the harvest fit, and stay single. Even if that makes him a bad duke, maybe the worst duke in the world. Then Miss Jane Kent, a long-lost relation of the illustrious Penhallow family, arrives in the neighborhood and is promptly befriended by the duke's son. Jane, Anthony comes to realize, is smart and fun and also very kissable and dazzlingly desirable. Still, that's not enough to melt his resistance to marrying again. He made a stern promise to himself and promises must, of course, be kept. But what if that's just his head talking and his heart is saying something entirely different? You know, this book jacket, I think, gives you a very good idea of what you're going to read in this book. Yeah, I think the only critique I have is the emphasis on Anthony. Mm-hmm. Like, even the paragraph about Jane is about Anthony's reaction to Jane. That's true. And this book, if anything, I felt like was slightly more from her perspective. It's pretty close to 50-50. But yeah, pretty close because, to 50-50, but. Between the time she spends in London without him and the time she spends in the classroom with Wakefield, I think a lot of times, this is the distinction I'd make. She has a lot of scenes with other characters, her family, his son. I feel like a lot of the times, any interactions that are just between him and another character, he's telling to her. Yeah. There are fewer scenes, I think, of him independently. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Which is not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, I think it's an interesting choice to put so much emphasis on him in the jacket, given that, if anything, the book did the reverse. Yeah. So the the book jacket is not 50-50. It's mostly about Anthony. I mean, that said, the title of the book is The Worst Duke in the World. So it's also all about Anthony. True, and that the title is in the jacket. The title is said several times in the text. 
the title of the thing is in the thing. It's in the thing a lot. <laughs> well, as usual, we wrote our own summaries and we based those on a randomly generated number. For this episode, the number was 21. Uh, do, you, do you want me to start? I'll start. Jane meets Anthony at cute, but later she meets his kid and his pig, and then she thinks he's hot. Yeah. Um, so I took some liberties. There are some numbers in my summary that I did not count as words, but when I had them as commas, I thought it was confusing. That is totally fair because in mine, all my ampersands were there. Okay, great. Count so, as words. Perfect. We did the same thing. Is the conflict in this novel, one, her illegitimacy, two, their families hate the match, three, her former lover, or four, he sworn off marriage? I, and the answer is, the answer is, well, we won't spoil it for you guys. My point is, there were so many things in this book that could have worked as legitimate conflicts. And depending on how they were handled, I'm not saying I would have liked it better or worse, but oh my god, I am so tired of... Like, I, I thought this book handled dealing with serious issues correctly very, very well. So yes. the fact that it still defaulted to, and I don't love, was kind of disappointing. Yes! I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Oh, so the the tropes, it's, it's interesting, too, because I don't feel like this one has, like, an overarching trope. Like, you can't say, oh, this is the marriage of convenience, or this is the whatever, you know, friends to lovers. I mean, I feel like man won't get married is a trope. Yes, but it's hard. You can't. I mean, I guess you can be like, it's one of those books where the guy won't get married. You know. <laughs> I absolutely think you can, but I know what you mean. It's not quite as established within the lexicon. Yeah, it's not as it's not as pithy. I think one of the things that happens in this book, he's got a sister who keeps trying to force matches on him, as alluded to in the jacket. But she has a great grandmother who she's recently found. Uh, who also wants to marry her off yeah. properly. So both of them have are on the marriage mart in the minds of their loved ones, which I think it's not the marriage-minded mama we're used to, but both of them are getting it from their closest female relation. Yeah. And I do think, I did think it was very amusing in this book that his sister does not think that Jane is a good match for him because she's illegitimate. Whereas her great-grandmother doesn't think that a duke is good enough for her, basically because he doesn't wear nice clothes or something. Yeah, and there's was, a little bit of family rivalry alluded to. Yeah. But not enough to justify the grandmother's hatred of him. I mean, it was absolutely illogical, which is part of the reason why I actually found it kind of plausible. <laughs> I honestly, I think it would have been plausible with like two more lines of exposition. Like yeah. she's spending so much time with him unsupervised that just that alone, the grandmother could kind of be 
scheming to say either he doesn't have good intentions, in which case he's a bad person, I need to get my granddaughter away from him. Or he needs to be nudged, in which case distance makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. Or also, I mean, I was thinking that the grandmother, and again, this is all extrapolation, but another yeah. option would be um, she hasn't met anyone else. She's in the country, so she needs mm-hmm. to go to London to meet other men, basically. And then if she still likes him, she can be with him. But anyway, yeah. I didn't dislike this part of the book. No, me neither, but it's such a trope. Oh, absolutely. He had a really bad first marriage, guys. Which he was forced into because he was never meant to inherit, but his older brother died, so he was forced to marry the woman he'd been betrothed to. It's it's very to Sir Philip with love. (laughs) Yes. And tons of others. He was the neglected second son who was the black sheep of the family who everyone was so glad was never going to be in charge. And then his brother was tragically killed in a sporting accident. Yes. And thus he had to don the mantle. (laughs) And as evidence of him not being a good Duke, he really likes, farming and he really loves the estate what a horrible duke but he's got a pig that he really loves and he named the pig duchess when his wife was still alive (laughs) yes this did remind me of um not quite a lady by loretta chase remember her father had the pig and Mm -hmm. that's who he told everything to so anyway i I call love me, love my animal, although really it's just love me, love my pig, apparently. I did like that this twist on the trope, he really is obsessed with agriculture, not running the estate. It's mentioned in passing that he's a good duke and he's good to his tenants and he's, you know, responsive and donates to the right causes and all of that. But there's a passing aside at the end that she actually takes estate management into her hands when she marries him, because spoiler alert, they end up together. Um, and, but I really liked that, that I think a lot of times it's a Duke who's throwing himself into his work. And because that's not aristocratic, it's criticized. But as a modern reader, you're supposed to view it as industrious. I liked that it's not, this is not him rejecting the aristocracy or the idea that he's supposed to be hands off. He's literally just obsessed with like farm animals. Yeah, farm animals and farming like he wants a big pumpkin and all the all that county fair shit he loves yeah just I I think it was an interesting thing that it wasn't a choice to make him really involved in these minutiae of the estate as indicative of him being like the world's best aristocrat Mm -hmm. in the way I mean even think other books we're reading right now the way Cam and Merripin become in the Hathaway series like it's yes. not it's not like an admirable representation of his perfection and caring. It's literally just he's really into pigs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like this one pig in particular. So she is her background is a little bit glossed over in the jacket, which I find interesting because it's the second chapter of the book is her entire backstory. Um, but she was a secret child of the aristocracy her grandfather 
had been a pen hollow and knocked up her grandmother and died in a race before they could wed. And then the grandmother refused to disclose his identity. But then, of course, after everyone in her family has passed, because she is a sad, tragic orphan, TM, she found letters indicating her real identity. And she shows up at the estate out of the blue with nothing but this letter to verify her identity. And they're like, girl, we would have believed you with no documentation because you're our clone. <laughs> yes. They're like, look at that picture. You looked exactly the same. <laughs> As this man who's died, you know, 40 years ago. Well, he couldn't die 40 years ago. She's only 20. <laughs> he was her grandfather. Oh, yeah. I guess he did die 40 years ago. Interesting. Hello. You are correct. <laughs> Thank you. Something good has come of me finishing this four hours ago. <laughs> I did forget a big trope. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the, he's a single parent. It's the single dad romance, which leads to the next trope, which is there is a cute kid, TM, in this book. Do Lane and I love cute kids? We do not. We, we tolerate cute kids. He is central. Yeah. <laughs> he's very cute. And very, I mean, I didn't feel like he was too implausibly written. Like, he was a believable cute kid. But he, there was a lot of Wakefield in this book. Yeah. So um, a couple of romance tropes do rear their head in the denouement and surrounding chapters including that he makes a shocking appearance at a ball after having undergone a makeover. I loved it. Love that trope. And he does uh, make overtures scaling her window or scaling the building up to her window, throwing rocks at her window. Yeah. Which I rocks. will never complain. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so those were pretty. I, I liked that a lot. <laughs> They were never in an enclosed carriage together, so we can't go in that direction. Um, there's no house parties that they're both at together. So a lot of the traditional society romance elements weren't here. Yeah, they were in an open carriage together, and they did manage to make out in it. On but it more than in it. it it's not it's not the same thing you know because no. they had to pull over because otherwise the horses would have run off the road there was a lot of this is this is a very um whimsical but at the same time very practical book yes so i think the most distinctive thing about this book was burns writing style i agree it's incredibly saccharine mm-hmm it's very rambly and I think yeah. there's two different ways to read it right like one is the author is writing in the style that her characters think even when she's not in their heads mm -hmm. or that Lisa Byrne just has a very distinctive tone and sentence mm -hmm. structure I have a hunch it's the latter yeah but Having not read anything else by her, I can't say that with 100% certainty. Yeah. 
I mean, I agree. Um, there is evidence to support this point, <laughs> which we, I mean, we can talk about it now because it all makes sense. I mean, basically, I, I would, so Lane and I both described this the same way, which is that there were a lot of run-on sentences. That said, they weren't like super confusing or long. They weren't run-on sentences that didn't make sense and you didn't get confused. They were intentional choices to show that the characters were sort of rambly in their flutteriness of being attracted to one another. Exactly. And I did read someone else um, who talked about the book and, and she said that it was like stream of consciousness. And I was like, well, that's probably a better way to describe it. <laughs> is it is very stream of consciousness esque, even though it's not written in the first person. Right. Right. And that's, that's it's very cute and charming if you that's how you're reading it if you're reading it as Anthony's thinking about her and then he's thinking about what she's wearing and then he thinks about what she talked about I mean this is how you kind of feel when you fall in love and those first feelings you know so I, I didn't dislike it but what Lane is getting at and and what I've found too I, I, you I, if you read it quickly you get kind of tired of it and then at the very end there's a final chapter that wraps up every conceivable plot point or character ever referenced in this book. And it's all written in that same style. style. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, this is not this character feeling a specific way. And then we're supposed to read the other character feeling the same way and say, oh, they're so similar because they have these similar feelings. This is, this is how Lisa Byrne writes. So just just take that and and know that that is how it is because that's how she writes and it it's very cute and very sweet as Lane said but depends on how cute and sweet you like to read things. And on the one hand it takes a lot of really 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 heavy topics. She mm -hmm. Illegit well, descended from illegitimacy. She herself is legitimate. Um, she grew up incredibly poor and really struggled to survive. He was absolutely an abused child. You know, it sounds like the great-grandmother who ends up taking Jane in has gone through a lot of personal tragedy herself. And I think some books really would have milked the emotional suffering of their mm -hmm. characters. And... Lisa Bird is the exact opposite. It's all sort of glossed over as the past and what made people who they were, but no one's really dwelling on it or angsty about it, which on the one hand, I really appreciate. On the other hand, I think that gives you a sense of the tone of this book. If I'm saying those things were kind of handled with a brush off and a smile. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, I, I did like this. I think this is a good book. If you like compatible adult couples who yes, go through some communication issues, but when they eventually talk about their feelings and their hopes for the future, they work everything out. That said, that's basically all that happens in this book. Mm -hmm. Honestly, <laughs> what did I say? Oh, yes, that there is a tooth extraction, and the tooth, extra tooth extraction is basically the craziest thing that happens in this book yeah I mean I think 
so this is a relatively short book, right? It's only 21 chapters. It did not take very long to read, which is great. It's like a sit down, knock out a cute little love story if you're in the mood for that one afternoon. But her entire saga of her past, the journey to meet her family and meeting her family is one chapter. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of things that you would assume are the plot of this book really aren't. It's a lot of her being invited for lunch or her being invited to meet the pig or him coming over to talk to her uncle about something. Like the only real conflict, Meg is right, tooth extraction, and she gets taken to London to have her season in like chapter 18 of 21. Mm-hmm. And 21 is really the epilogue. Yeah. Just for people who are real sticklers about historical accuracy, especially when it comes to dialogue choices, this book definitely takes some liberties introducing some more modern context, uh, yeah. co- modern word choices. Um, so if that's something that bothers you, just be aware of it. Yeah. Did you find anything offensive about this book? So I was not offended by anything in this book. I will say that there is a trigger warning for an attempted sexual assault. I think that's a necessary trigger warning. I will add that like the rest of this book, it's not played for laughs. It's not, uh, you know, the, the character who does it, like it's taken seriously in the moment, but it is treated with the same levity that everything else is in this book. Exactly. I mean, I <laughs> I actually think that the fact that we put a content warning um, for attempted sexual assault just after saying that nothing happens in this book, people are going to be like, wait, what? But I'm not kidding. Like I said, the tooth extraction is treated with much more depth and seriousness, and it has much more emotional impact on the characters than this one instance of a, a sexual assault. Yes. An unsuccessful sexual assault, I should say. Yeah, and to be very clear, he's trying to kiss her without her consent. So it's not, it's nothing violent. Mm-hmm. So I don't want you, I don't want our listeners to be picturing something like graphic and violent because it's not that at all. Yeah. So flip side, how sexy was this book? This book, so here's the thing. I thought it was going to be pretty sexy. Jane thinks about sex, she masturbates, she fantasizes about Anthony, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah, I thought, I was surprised by that, to be honest, Um, because not only is she relatively sexually liberated in her own thoughts, but there are several times that they are they never consciously choose to stop for the sake of stopping when they're making out. Either they're in an open carriage on the side of the road and someone's coming, or they're in the ballroom making out and his ailing son is upstairs and they need to return to him. Or it's never a thought of where do we want this relationship to go physically that gives them pause. And so I really thought them both agreeing that they wanted to have sex was inevitable because they were both mentally consenting independently and then it was just never on the page and it Mm -hmm. didn't really seem to ever happen either until 
till after they got married. Yeah, which uh, you know we're we're disappointed. Any of our listeners know, <laughs> closed door is not our thing, and waiting is not our thing either. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, Jane's. It turns out that Jane's not a virgin. I, I again don't think this is a spoiler because from pretty early on in the book, you know that she's familiar with the sexual act. Mm. Um, And Anthony, on the other hand, is as close as you can get to a virgin for a married man, which is that he's only ever had sex with his wife and probably only to knock her up the one time. Yeah, he describes the only sex he's ever had as incredibly perfunctory, and it sounds horrific. So here's the thing. This combination, I was like really looking forward to the consummation is all I have to say about it. And I I was unfortunately very disappointed (laughs) because I I didn't get to be present for it. (laughs) He kisses her ankle. He kisses her leg. And then they wake up naked in each other's arms. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, whatever. But overall, if you're looking for something short, cute, fluffy, saccharine, this definitely checks all of those boxes. And I think I have a toothache. Yes, completely honestly, this may be the book for the present moment. If you are looking for a true escapist historical romance that's not going to engage with, like, you know, with any problematic issues, this is probably the book for you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and you can follow us on Instagram and Goodreads.